Bookworm Games. This is episode 8, The Runaway 5. Welcome back, one and all. My name is Wesley Schantz, and I'm very happy to get to discourse with you this week on The Runaway 5, who in a game full of memorable characters and moments, provide some of the coolest. We'll look at the ways Earthbound pays homage through them to important influences from the Beatles, the Blues Brothers, and the Mario Brothers. First, though, a shout-out. Charles Montgomery, faithful listener and sometime troll of SideQuests and this podcast, too. Charles is the co-host with Emma Van Dittner of Drop In and Write here in Spokane at Spark Central. So if you're in the area, check it out. He has read everything from Virgil to Shakespeare to contemporary Korean literature, and he's got a website called descendingcat.com, if any of that appeals to you. So, when I first played Earthbound as a kid, I distinctly remember this. I recall my confusion about how to get in and actually see the Runaway 5 show. The tickets at the department store were sold out. There didn't seem to be any way to move to the front of the line, or rather the queue, outside the Chaos Theater. Lucky and the unnamed co-leader standing by their bus seemed upset about Paula's kidnapping. Even though they aren't from the town, they seem just as moved as any of her neighbors. And then on the other hand, the owner, Mr. Poochie Food, is gloating about how they couldn't leave now, and that didn't seem to suggest, at least to me, any way to actually get in to see them. But again, like the immobile queue, there just didn't seem to be any urgency to it either. They weren't going anywhere, despite their dynamic name. And something about that name was so evocative to me, run away, to run away, to become, in fact, one of those people that I always read about in books, saw in movies, or played video games as, going off and having adventures, actually doing something, rather than just imagining it. But run away, too, implied what this would mean for the people that I left behind, that I'd abandoned. I'd taken a cowardly exit from my problems and my potential, Although, in some sense, it's the opposite of being kidnapped, it would have had a similar impact on those people that I cared about and who cared about me. So I never really seriously considered actually running away from home, but I did play Earthbound, and I loved books about such runaways, like My Side of the Mountain. And then just this past week, I read Songs from Cold Mountain, that poet of clouds, and moth-browed eyes and cinnamon trees, who invites the reader to the mountain with him. He's less a runaway than maybe a recluse, although we don't really know quite who he was. We know where he was. And so I still, still do enjoy such stories. So, in Seeking Paula, trying to find a way through the tunnel to get to Threed, That more frivolous but somehow more immediate impulse to get to see the Runaway 5 show plays its part. In a Rube Goldberg sequence of events worthy of any musical, farce, or comedy, rescuing Paula convinces Everdred to pay you the reward money he hinted at, and then Lucky slips you a backstage pass. That money becomes the Runaway 5's ransom, and their tour bus in turn provides Ness and Paula with an unexpected way to get to the next town, to continue their adventure. So in case you weren't sure before, 
It becomes clear at this point that orange kids' inventions are a red herring, that apple kids, like Einstein, whose equations tell us the awesome truth, that all things are shot through with squares of light speed, and thus multiply out to effectively infinite potential energy. Apple kids' inventions are more poetic in times than immediately practical. So finding a way, which is what invention means, means in this case following an impulse rather than restraining it. The sense of release that comes in their music, too, reflects Runaway Five's release from bondage. The muted rhythm of the theater transforms with their show into a melodic call and response. Right through the usual chord progressions and syncopations of jazz, blues, rock and roll. So it's not the intellectuals who can find a way forward this time. It's the artistic, the inarticulate as yet, for there's no words in that song, the musical. Indeed, the music is the way forward, as they play so loudly on their bus and drive so recklessly, out of my way, sidewalk, that the ghosts can't haunt the haunt you or them, they can't keep you guys back, depositing you in the darksome countryside, sorry, the darksome threed, the darksome town beside Tucson. The band leads you to cheer it with your special brand of sunshine, and off they go to the big city. Or you may have heard that another singer, a Tucson native, is attempting to make a name for herself. Vain, oh, Bane something, as her mom says, back home. So true to their name, the Runaway Five have left again, for now. But you still have their backstage pass. Surprisingly, perhaps, since that fan who tagged along with you at their show even looked just like the sprite of your sister, but you didn't give it away to her, despite thinking nothing of giving away $10,000 or more to get the band released from their contract. I guess, like the sax player... And, by the way, aren't there actually six Runaway Five band members on stage? If you count the keyboardist. Anyway, like the sax player, you don't want to make a spectacle of yourself. Giving away the dirty money of a crime lord with a heart of gold is one thing. But the backstage pass from the Runaway Five is priceless. Like the Franklin badge that Paula gave you when you first met. Or the handmade band-aid Paula's mom gives you, which I for one could never bring myself to actually use. It held so much sentimental value. The idea of a backstage pass to the chaos theater. How rich with meaning is that? It takes the game taking you in hand in the form of that fan to hustle you through the audience a bit and into the dressing room and then onto the show. Or else you could well dwell on it indefinitely. If you do get a chance to bounce around and talk to people first, you get an interesting cross-section of the reasons that we continue to value live music so highly in this theater of chaos we try to call into order from time to time. Some people are there on dates, or waiting for a hapless date to show up. Some are courting business partners. Some hope to be seen at such an exclusive event, inflating its popularity for popularity's sake, a mechanism that's all too common at the extreme ends of the fame distribution, as art for art's sake was in an earlier generation. Some hope to get the performers sweat or spit on them, fetishizing their youthful persona more than appreciating any musical talent. Some are tone-deaf, but presumably 
They like the elegant circling choreography of the two singers, their slow spins and graceful dance moves. Is it totally off target to suggest that the red zigzag patterns in there, as well as the stage, the general vibe, remind you of Twin Peaks? That's a rabbit hole I don't want to go tumbling down just now. I think the more relevant references are those I mentioned at the outset. First, to the Beatles. The name Runaway Five, in Earthbound's English translation, conjures the Fab Five, certainly. And thus it continues that running joke incorporating the Beatles into the game. In one of their songs. She is leaving home. Right? As if the general idea of being a runaway weren't appealing enough, all of this connotes the dream of being a rock star, mixing desire with cultural memory of that archetypal pop sensation. You can imagine the footage of those bemused Brits descending the jetway stairs and the crowds of screaming, weeping fans, five boyish faces grinning and head-bobbing, mop-tops flapping on stage, and all through the hall, hands raised and voices wailing in ecstasy at the least strum of a chord. The Beatles stand for so much more than their music. But again, the music is the vehicle for that dream. And the music is on a journey. Their sound famously developed from album to album through the years. And for all their simple or profound songwriting, depending on when and how you look at those different stages, it remained indebted to a much deeper well than the pop they helped to bring about the well of rhythm and blues thumping along in the chaos theater before, after, beneath the Runaway Five show. So the next thing this brings us to is the Blues Brothers, the classic movie with its nonstop parade of iconic musical artists, that bizarrely popular late fruit of the tree with such deep roots, which also gave the world Billie Holiday's strange fruit. And for all his explosions not touching the heat of John Lee Hooker's boom boom. And for all its winsome cultural cachet, nothing on Louis Armstrong's West End Blues. Or, what did I do to be so black and blue? And that should give us pause. For all the rollicking good times we get in the Blues Brothers, they're predicated on some deeply strange and sad foundations. Why do they need this money? Because they're broke. Why do they need to get the band back together? Because they're heartbroken. With such great jams and car chases ensuing. Why? To save the nuns. The Catholic orphanage where they grew up. And where did they derive their musical ideas? Their power to work this modest miracle? They get inspiration at a black church. And their music, like the Beatles and Runaway Fives, is nourished by soul and gospel and jazz and blues. African-American experiences rendered in musical form, appropriated and popularized by each new rock star, to say nothing of theater owners and record or ticket-buying masses. The word appropriation gets tossed around a lot, of course, but I'm using it here, if possible, in its straightforward, non-technical, and non-shibolithic ascription, as I mean to say just that, that this music is on a journey, and is a journey, that it possesses and is possessed by many creators and listeners, interpreters of many backgrounds. And where it will go next escapes our ken, 
until perhaps we catch up to it again. Myself, I only just started trying to listen to Kendrick Lamar, so you can see how little pretension I would have to say anything authoritative about musical matters in this day. But I hope it goes without saying I think people should be free to listen to or make whatever kind of music they like without any backstage pass other than their own goodwill. Authenticity, which is not the prerogative of any in or out group, but is that which makes truth possible to share between people. And crucially, authenticity too is that which makes forgiveness possible because it makes it possible to apologize first. It repays patience. It permits second and seventh and seventieth chances to make things right. And everyone has it, authenticity, as part of that God-given potential that is everyone's human right. And everyone has the responsibility to cultivate it and their sense of it, their judgment, by patient attention to the best examples that they can find. For me, at least, that's these games and reading and music which I never tire of admiring and sharing with you. And that seems to be the message of Blues Brothers too. From their disastrous first attempts at gigs to the climactic escape from their big show in the palatial theater with all that driving around with the theme music thumping like a heart, we can all feel how vibrant real music is. We all yearn for it and miss it when it's gone. When it is imprisoned or fugitive, we cheer it out and on. And when it's disguised, we urge it to let fall the mask. But tastes also move on. And the demographics in the neighborhood and the church attendance and the collection plate giving all shift. And so we better boogie to stay free, to make and listen and testify when the spirit moves for the healing of the nations. That's that well image again, the water of life, the well of life that I found of all places in the Fairy Queen this past week. <laughs> and try, try that, try reading Fairy Queen alongside of uh, Cold Mountain. But that's, anyway, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness again is bound up inextricably with all that is meant by the blues. It can't be an accident that the happy, happiests chant and paint things and robe themselves, not in green, green, or some other cheerful springtime color that pops, but in blue, blue, that well of life, which is also bitter as tears and sunshiny as smiles. I also never tire of wondering how that poor lost Mr. Saturn wound up in Happy Happy Village, where he wisely keeps his door shut. Yet his house manages, like the Lilliput steps, to avoid the veneer of blue. Maybe he's there to keep an eye on everything, to encourage Paula, keep her company while she waits patiently. Anyhow, it just seems obvious that if you take a hard line on what gets brought under that term appropriation, then art itself stagnates and balkanizes, or whatever depressing metaphor you will. And you're no longer allowed to read Mark Twain or William Faulkner, who appropriate black speech quite appropriately, or Frederick Douglass, for that matter, who appropriates white rhetoric so effectively that early readers denied that he could have written the narrative of his own life. And that's always a perilous denial. <laughs> 
So if you haven't read those or listened to those other ones, probably you should just hit pause and Google them. Look up Duende while you're at it. Duende, D-U-E-N-D-E, like a Spanish blues. It's supposed to come up through the dancer's feet from the dark earth. Or look up Brazil's Choros or Saudade, all things that I wish I knew more about. And let me know what you find. So you'll find something like the blues in the folk music of every people around the world. And then when you're ready to listen to the rest of this episode, I hope you'll indulge me now in talking about something I might not have done enough with so far. For all that I draw out my tendentious, tender connections between Earthbound and many other media, I have spoken relatively little about other video games so far. But in the two singers who most embody the Runaway Five ethos, in Japanese they're called Tonzura Brothers, which is something that means running away, I also see a fairly unmistakable allusion to Nintendo's most iconic franchise, Super Mario Brothers. Just as Nintendo became the quintessential home video game system, it's called Famicom in, in, Jap- in Japan, echoing family, and recall that Earthbound is Mother 2, and in Mother the hero's name is Ninten, like Ness is an anagram, an anagram of SNES. So the Mario Brothers titles are the quintessential games. Mario and Luigi are the culture's latest manifestation of a same, the same principle which yielded Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, or Frodo Baggins and Sam Gamgee, or Jacob and Esau, or Gilgamesh and Enkidu. We like our heroes to have at least a couple of aspects to their nature, and we like to dramatize this by having separate characters at times, distinguishing them phys- physically even, and then at times we like to let them be more unified as to their shared purpose. For Mario and Luigi, it's rescuing Princess Toadstool and the Mushroom Kingdom from Bowser, the turtle dragon, and his brood. For the Runaway Five, as we've seen, it's recovering their own ideal. Freedom, freedom, that's what we really sought. And yet the method in both cases is musically accompanied movement. The enacting of that freedom in Mario Brothers, running fast and jumping high and flying and shooting fireballs and gaining extra lives. It's the ultimate wish fulfillment. It's ultimate verve and rejoicing and simple skill, instant gratification blended with variation, peak, challenge, engagement to that larger goal of rescue and release. Itself within the larger still game of the pursuit of happiness, of course, of learning and sharing some glimpse of the truth, which is the game beyond all games, to riff on the popular hymn. Mario Bros. are the ultimate of what they are, whether in the original, or Mario 3, or World, or 64, or Kart, or Smash, or Galaxy, or the new Odyssey, which I've only heard about, but I take Ben's word for it, being awesome, Basically, these are perfect games. They have given rise to a lively culture of folks striving to play them perfectly, too. Much in the way that a virtuoso performer will take on a violin concerto. 
and I'd certainly pay to see that live. And the Mario Bros. music as well, as Earthbounds and Studio Ghibli's, on that note, can have some delightful covers. You'll find these on YouTube, uploaded by an account called Moonbow Music Movie. It's a band called Mine Mynung. I highly recommend it whenever you need to come up for air from your dive into jazz and the blues. So, to recap, we descended into chaos because that rocks. We heard about another Tucsonite who's gone off to seek her fortune, and the music moved us on to the next town at last. We thought a little about the Beatles, the Blues Brothers, and Mario Bros, and about the brilliant music that flows into and out of them again, Tide of the Blues. We hope we've said some helpful things about appropriation and authenticity. If not, like the kid in the preschool, I beg your pardon. Next week, we'll have another conversation episode, and then it's on to Threed. Until then, take care.